This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, a pair of shoes you kept in your closet from high school because <laughs> of the memories, you said? Uh, your mom's not very pleased about that. I'm here with Kara Shimborski. Hey. And Kate Scotchless. Hello. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about comic books with both of you today. But before we get into things, before we get to those legally mandated questions that I have, two quick announcements. Number one. The book of the month that we have on our Goodreads group it, for the month of September is Black Widow Volume 1, The Ties That Bind by Kelly Thompson and Elena Casagrande. I think everyone should go read that. And then give us your comments in the thread before the near end of this month. We're going to record a special Patreon-only version of the Goodreads book of the month that'll be coming out at the end of this month. And the second announcement is that we have a hangout coming September 18 at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that should be this upcoming Saturday if you're listening to this the day that this episode comes out so get hyped go do those two things because we really appreciate it we want to talk to you all on saturday our our hangouts are a a bit of fun chaos but i think we're going to do something a little organized this time we're going to do some presentations of some kind uh more details if you're on the discord so make sure to join that uh there's a link in the show notes for that but let's get into comics let's talk about the thing that we're here and we gather together every week for i gotta ask these questions how have you been how have comic books been let's start with you kate I have been oh, like good, but like hurting because someone recommended Sweet Tooth to me, a guy named Michael, one <laughs> uh, Michael Rappin, and it. Jeff Lemire is just out to break hearts, so I read Sweet Tooth Volume Two, and I'm most of the way through Volume Three. Which I'm not uh-huh. going to discuss it because what you guys really need to do is just listen to the IRCB mini series on it, Candy Bar Antler Boy. It's a delight. Uh, I mean, Danny and I, we, we've got a lot of love for both that show and the comic book. So, yeah, yes, 100% yeah. agree with that. So the other thing I read this week um, was, well, short of what I'm going to talk about later, um, was Christie's Great Idea, which is the graphic novel edition of the very first Babysitter's Club book. Um, and it was done what? by Raina Telgemeier. And what? Yes. Okay. Hear me out. Yes. Um, so... Let's let's back this way up. For those of you who may not know, the Babysitters Book Club series is a, like wildly popular series of middle grade books that were written between 1986 and 2000, which is squarely like I was the exact demographic when these things were coming out. Right, um, you have treated. You have forcibly transported me to my uncle's mm-hmm. cabin in Maine, mm-hmm. getting like over like dog eared <laughs> babysitter club book fair, yeah, out from the library <laughs> and just yep. reading them under the trees. Oh my yes. god, I'm yes. seven. <laughs> so this is created by Anna M. Martin, who wrote the first thirty five novels in the series, and then the rest of them, and there's like more than a hundred, were written by right. ghostwriters, and it was so. Fun fact, one of the most successful series in the history of publishing. There's more than 176 million books of the Babysitter's Club in print worldwide, which makes it like like some top in the world in terms of uh, series and just remains super high. It also spawned, uh, had a bunch of spinoff series, one of which, uh, and this is relevant, I promise, was the one I actually started with because it was for earlier reading level, was mm-hmm. Babysitter's Little Sister, which had 122 novels for younger readers and oh six God. super special quote unquote novels. And instead of being centered on um, Christy Thomas, it's centered on her seven year old stepsister, Karen Brewer. And that ran from 1988 to 2000. And so Karen Brewer is in this graphic novel and was 
my favorite part, mostly for nostalgia, but I thought they did, she did a really good job capturing that character. And like, I guess this one, so I love Raina Telgemeier's uh, Smile series. Like her autobiographical books are incredible. Five stars, like amazing. I'd give them to anyone as a solid recommendation. Also, Raina Telgemeier is like the most successful comic book creator in the world. In Western comics, at least, right? And she's done a bunch of these Babysitter Club um, novel, graphic novel adaptations of the books. And they are also like, consistently in the top 10 selling comics every single week and have been for years. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that if you're having a conversation about comics and you are not mentioning Raina Telgemeier, you're not actually talking about comics. You're talking about the part of comics that you want to be talking about, but not the whole. Yeah, it's like Raina Telgemeier and then whoever does Dogman. (laughs) I don't don't know who (laughs) that is, but that's the one that like everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, So... I feel like this one is enjoyable enough that I will get the next one from the library, but I definitely like her autobiographical ones a lot more. And so this one, I'd say like, I'd absolutely recommend it for middle grade readers, but I wouldn't recommend this for adults unless you too have major nostalgia for the series. Um, I don't know that it would be like a true all ages in the sense that you'd really love it as an adult, unless you, you were like me, right? Uh, what is sincerely, truly all age fair is the new TV series on Netflix that is fantastic for no matter how old you are. I well, I, I guess I'd be like a middle school and up, ten and up kind of thing. It's probably inappropriate sure. for little younger kids because it deals with like puberty stuff, right? But it's so well done and updated for modern sensibilities because, of course, these are written in the like eighties, nineties, right? Like it's. Uh, dated even though they were progressive for the time so the tv series just chef kiss but for this i think like my favorite part besides the nostalgia and telgemeier's like hallmark pitch perfect dialogue and that Mm -hmm. like really clean yet super expressive art that she does is the depiction of christy thomas the main character where she's this girl who's like very smart very caring but also very like she always speaks before she thinks so her mouth is getting her into trouble and she just kind of has the like normal age appropriate for a you know middle schooler kind of emotion regulation is not her forte situation (laughs) where she gets really upset sometimes with friends or frustrated Mm -hmm. with her family but it's portrayed in this very sympathetic and caring manner where like she's portrayed as still a really good kid where she's learning from her mistakes and she and it's like portrayed as like part of she's like dealing with stuff like her through this first book um her mother is dating and then becoming engaged to uh, another man. And so she's like very much coping with not just her parents are already divorced when the book starts, but like the idea of her mom becoming remarried and then getting step siblings and stuff like that. So it's like portrayed as like very understandable and that she has all these good qualities too. So she's like a very well-rounded character in a way that I, as someone who not just as a child, but as an adult, really struggles with the speaking before I think aspect of life. Sure. And having that be the like, yeah, it's a thing to work on. It's not like good per se, but also it doesn't mean you're trash. Uh, I really appreciate and hits hits a good note in my heart, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, this this sounds fantastic. It I mean. does. I will say, Mike, if you don't have nostalgia for the series, 
go watch the show. Don't read the graphic novels. Give it. Okay. Give the graphic novel to the ten year old little girl in your life, and you will be the favorite uncle. Uh, For sure. <laughs> oh, Danny threw out Big Nate. Yes, Big Nate is also in that top ten, re- like constantly. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Danny, for hanging out with us in the Discord. Because, you know, if you go and join the Discord right now, this is going to be constant plugs for this. You can listen to our episodes live and you can chat with us while we're recording. But, Kara, curious to know, how have you been? How have comic books been? Ooh, um, so uh, I am I am officially part of the Great Resignation sweeping the nation. I mm. am. Woot, woot. Yeah, I am going to take some time off and then figure out what I'm going to do next. And in the meantime, read many more comics. <laughs> I would like to talk about a comic today and also a film that I swear will become comic adjacent, though not immediately apparent how. So sure, go for it. Last night, for the first time ever, I watched the cult horror film Jennifer's Body. Okay. From 2009. Okay. Kate knows. So Jennifer's Body came out in 2009. It stars... Megan Fox, who was right off of the first Transformers movie, and everyone was like oogling her like yeah. the next Angelina Jolie sex symbol. And that's what the marketing for Jennifer's Body, the film, was. It was Megan Fox is hot. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I have come to understand through the internet the past few years that the film Jennifer's Body is actually not about Megan Fox being hot, it's actually about being a teenage girl and the weirdness of friendships that might be toxically codependent when you're a teenage girl and how men and teenage boys can exploit or demean women for their own like power or bonding purposes and these are all topics that are very interesting for me (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so i realized that jennifer's body is now available on prime streaming and so i watched it last night and realized that it is a level of horror movie that I can deal with as somebody who doesn't like horror because the st- the scary stuff that happens is like so clearly like part of the the language of horror films, if that makes sense. Like it's yeah. when it happens, it, like there weren't any like jump scares or things that made me feel like my house was about to come eat me or something like that. So right, right. It, it felt like like a level that I could deal with anyway. So um. Like I say, it was a level I could deal with while also saying, and then I laid awake thinking about it. (laughs) And (laughs) and then I laid awake thinking about it. And that got me thinking about kind of, and I was like reading a bunch of interviews that Megan Fox and like the film director gave recently uh, uh, during like pre-pandemic screenings of Jennifer's Body with audiences being like, hey, we'd really like to revisit this film because it was way ahead of its time in dealing with a lot of Mm -hmm. things that we're talking about now. And kind of hearing Megan Fox telling how she felt like she did such a good job playing the character of a teenage girl possessed by a man-eating demon because she felt like she was kind of in that place at her life. Right, and right. So, like all of this was. You're telling me coming off of the first Transformers movies that she was maybe feeling like jaded to like all of the men in the industry who were treating her like an object yeah <laughs> there's like there's like i know there's and there's some fun cameos in this film chris pratt shows up for about five seconds as like what a, a, yeah he shows up as like a cop trainee who's trying to sleep with 
Megan Fox's character who's underage. Amy Sedaris shows up as one of the characters' moms for about five seconds. Like, nice. It's it's fun if you like fun cameos. (laughs) So overall, would recommend. And because I was lying awake thinking about Megan Fox, and I was like, okay, how do I turn this like horror train of thought into something that will make it easier to fall asleep to? And then I got thinking about how I don't shut up about how Megan Fox was brilliant in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> films. Mm. Brilliant yeah. okay. in the TMNT films. And like she's she's very funny, but she doesn't get the opportunity to be funny because yeah. everyone's like, but she's the hot one. Yep. And I think that her portrayal of April O'Neil in the TMNT films is like the lowest lane that we should have, but somehow don't. Because Lois Lane in the last like 40 years has been more or less explicitly portrayed as like Superman's love interest. Yeah. And, right, and she's right. there to kind of be his love interest. And Lois Lane in the comics and in like the original 40s um, cartoons that played before newsreels and stuff like that was very much more in like the His Girl Friday template of characters where she was like the go-getting reporter and the reason Superman was always saving her was not because she was like a victim, but because she was like actively putting herself in danger to chase down stories because she's like the er reporter. And I think that Megan Fox embodied that so perfectly in the TMNT films that I'm like mad now that nobody looked at that over at DC and said, that's Lois Lane. And we need that in the DC universe. Like, where is that Lois Lane? Megan Fox already did it. <laughs> like, do it again, mm-hmm. but make it canon. So, come on, Time Warner. <laughs> come on, or Warner Media, whatever they are now. So, you know. Anyway, so Lois Lane in the comics is much better than Lois Lane in most of the films and TV shows because Lois Lane in the comics is actually sometimes a reporter and not just yeah there to be in love with Superman. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my vague comics tangent. Let's talk about a book that I read. I read okay. Star Wars, The High Republic, The Edge of Balance, number one, which is a, <laughs> um, the mouthful, which is a manga that the rating says it's rated teen. Um, the story is by Shima Shinya and Justina Ireland, and the art is by Mizuki Sakakibara. And um, this is the first time I think I've read a Star Wars manga. And I think the format is very well suited to telling Star Wars stories, just maybe not this exact story. So in manga, okay. you get a lot of, like, I think manga does very well with, like, dynamic fight scenes and showing mood an atmosphere which translates yeah. very well to dealing with concepts like the force and mm-hmm. the connectiveness to the world around you as a jedi and so forth and this is my first exposure to the high republic concept like i know that they've had a lot of a lot of novels about that already and they're on my to read list and now that i will not be going to work every day for a while i will finally have time to read them <laughs> but mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so this being my first exposure to this like subset of the star wars universe i felt like i was maybe missing something because this is the this is has a very clear like number one on it so i would think that as a young adult or even like this says teen but i think this is middle school 
really. Mm-hmm. Like you pick up this book and you start reading it. And all of a sudden you're like, who are all these characters? Because there's like 15 characters. Yeah. I might be exaggerating. There's like 10. Sure. But like everybody has a name and they show up and the layout gives them a focus that tells you this is someone important. But then they like vanish again. So then that makes me think, oh, this is a cameo from a character from another part of this project. Sure. But since the books that are written by like the the like the one that Charles Soule did was marketed to adults. So why would I as a middle school reader maybe like walking past the book section for my age know anything about this world so far except this book that I just picked mm-hmm. up. So that's my that's my little critique about this is that I would I I felt like it wasn't just diving into a new story. They're like referencing planets I don't know about and like a great mm-hmm. evil that I don't know about. And I'm just like, I'm so confused. But in terms of like the Jedi stuff, like lightsaber battles and figuring out if you're like sensing something happening and like the Padawan construct like that, it's all like pretty easy to follow. It's just, like the bigger concepts where I'm like, there's something else going on here. And if I yeah. was just picking up this book, I don't know if I would necessarily know everything that's going on here. That said, the evil in this, this I mean, it's kind of a spoiler, but it very rapidly presents as like a sentient flesh-eating plant situation. And <laughs> okay. okay. And this is the kind of thing about Star Wars I do wish they would do more of because Star Wars is like you could literally do anything, but so much of Star Wars is a humanoid. Right. And it's like, you're in space. You have like a life force binding everything together that can help you manipulate energy. Like literally uh-huh. anything could be sentient in this world. Right. So right. very cool to see that happen. Um, I do think the one thing that was the most annoying to me is that there is a Wookiee character in here. And I feel like in the films, they do a pretty good job of telling you what Chewbacca just said without having the characters he's speaking to repeat verbatim what he just said. <laughs> or no subtitles and stuff like that. Could you imagine <sighs> a Star Wars with subtitles just for the Wookiees? I mean, it's... <laughs> I mean, because they do subtitles for other other aliens yeah. in the series, right? But they don't do it for Wookiees, and I'm, I actually love Tells it. Tells me they curse too much. That's why they don't right. subtitle R2-D2. <laughs> That's the only explanation. So, but in this book, every time the Wookiee goes, they like repeat exactly what he just said to them back to him, but phrase it as a question. And that got it real old real quick for me. Yeah. And that just might be like a reading level thing. But sure. I'm also very big on trust your audience. So if you're writing dialogue and you think that people aren't going to follow along with what the Wookiee's getting at, then that that to me just is not a good fit for what I'm looking for in a Star Wars book. Anyways, um, if you have young readers in your life and you want them to be reading Star Wars stuff and they like the manga format, this is a pretty good way to go. If you, as an adult listening to this show are into star wars and want to read a star wars manga you could try this but you might be like me and be annoyed by the wookie stuff so that's yeah. that's my that's my assessment hashtag yeah, wookie I, stuff <laughs> I, I think that the uh the, your your note though about how manga seems like a really good like format and just the way that stories are told in manga books compared to the way they're told in western books and while there is some overlap i think that like manga definitely has that feel which is why i'm 
I also feel like anime has this same feel like Japanese anime has has this same thing, which is why I'm super hyped for the jet, like the the anime Star Wars thing that they're doing yes. um, in the near future. That trailer had me like falling out of my chair. So like if you're saying that this is pretty good, I have to imagine that the anime thing that we're going to get pretty soon is going to be just absolutely insane. Um, story might not be there, but who cares? It's going to look really cool. It will look really cool. This is probably a stupid question because, of course, you did. But did you read the Lost Stars manga? Um, I did not because I love the audiobook so much. But if you think the okay. manga is good, I will add it to my cart this very moment. Um, I have only <laughs> read the first volume. I don't typically like manga and I enjoyed it. So whatever that means, maybe that means it's less manga-esque. I don't know, but I liked it. Medium praise. Medium <laughs> praise. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, for me this week, uh, I have been, since we were off this past week, I was doing a lot of thinking about Ice Cream Man. And I don't know why. I just, it's in my head. I want to read more of it because Nick and I recorded that minisode and now I just want to consume the rest of Ice Cream Man. And anyways, but on top of that, I, I read a bunch of stuff. I read probably like almost 100 chapters of Jujutsu Kaisen um, because I'm very close to being cut up. Uh, and it's it's okay. It, there's a really cool point, And then the book has started to trail off. And I've heard uh, that that's kind of the consistency of the last, I don't know, 50 chapters of the story. So I'm not uh, not very excited. But regardless, I did read some pretty good books. Um, the two, two of the five stars that I gave in my personal reading list um, were the unbeatable or excuse me, unbelievable unteens number two. This is by Jeff Lemire, uh, art by Tyler Crook. The story for this book, pretty good. It's it's another Black Hammer story. So if you're into Black Hammer, definitely pick this up because it's cool. But really, the like the unraveling mystery of like who the characters are in the comic and like what happened to cause them to lose their memory. That's about as deep into the story as I'll go here is interesting. But the thing that sells me on this book every time. And the whole reason I wanted to read in the first place is just more Tyler Crook art. Uh, this issue in particular featured a very good mix and mash of like two distinctly different art styles that were both still clearly Tyler Crook. But to see him work in multiple like mediums like that in the same comic is incredible. His his art his usually his 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 watercolor work is very intricate and in depth more so than I would have expected for like any kind of watercolor stuff. I mean, I feel like there's a handful of artists that we know that are out there that are use watercolor pretty well. Like, um, and I feel like crook just does something so different that makes his art stand out every time I see it. And then to see him switch over to this retro faux thin line, very exaggerated, like faces and, 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 and attributes of characters that you get from like comics from the fifties and forties and stuff. And to see him be able to balance. And then at one point, those two overlap in the middle of an, of the issue. I was just, I was blown away. Like I'm reading the comics sitting on the couch next to Kelly. And at one point I just was like, Oh my God. <laughs> like in the room, scaring cats. Like just, I was like, Kelly, look at this page. Can you fucking believe what's going on? And she like patted me on the head. She said, yeah, that's nice. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, she's not. But I, I definitely appreciate the amount of work that Crook is putting into this book. It's so beautiful. And honestly, just to look at this book is worth the price tag every single month. And it's, I really think he na nailed it right out of the park with issue number two. So, yeah, all I can think of is like, how much money do I need to save to get an original Tyler Crook page? That's what I'm trying to figure out for the next five years of my life. Like, that's going to be my. Uh, I don't need to save for a house. I need to save for a page from Tyler Crook. Uh, Kelly doesn't right. listen. To this, Kelly doesn't listen to this podcast, right? Right. I mean, uh, yeah. 
for the most part. Okay, you're <laughs> she safe. She doesn't need to you're know. Safe. This is just a secret <laughs> between us and everyone listening. Yes. That book is really good, though. I think if you're if you're reading Black Hammer, definitely don't skip this one. Don't trade weight this one. It's worth to get it right away. It's a very good story, and the art is unbelievable. The other book I want to talk about real quick is The Lie and How We Told It. Uh, this is by Tommy Parrish. Uh, I've been sitting on this book for a while. It's a Fanagraphics book that came out I, I, a short while ago. I can't remember when. Um, but I remember seeing the cover of it and thinking it looked really interesting. And then to dive into this book, um, I I was really... I don't know. The, the day I sat down to read this, I was really bad or really mad at like all of my capes books. I was just looking at what I had in my like comicsology library. And I was like, this is all fucking stupid. Comic books fucking suck. Give me something that's what? actually going to be good. I was just in a bad mood. And so I picked this book up and it like woke my brain up in a way that I was like, oh, yeah, this is why I enjoy checking out what random Fantagraphics books, because sometimes they have stories in them that really shake you with how raw and real they are in a way that makes you uncomfortable. And but in a in a in a comfort in a way that allows you to like experience the awkward strangeness of a real life situation without actually having to go through it. And that's exactly what this book is. You know, it's the the premise is one person, there's these two people, one of them's working at a grocery store, the other one shows up and is buying groceries, they go, oh, hey, we went to high school together, oh my god, I haven't seen you in forever. Um, and they, the the person working at the grocery store, I, I don't have anybody's names, but they say, yeah, hey, I'm about to get off in like two minutes, you want to go grab a drink? And the other person's like, uh, well, that's not what I expected to do today, but I guess, like, sure. It, it's like that awkward social interaction where you run into someone that you haven't seen in a couple of years, and they suddenly want to do something with you. To me, that like sets off a bunch of like bells in my head of like, oh, and I feel really uncomfortable and really anxious about the situation. And to see the inner inner minds of two people in that moment and have like them reflect back on their college days and the story unfolds talking about, you know, did why didn't these two ever get together? They seem to kind of like each other. They get along really well, but they're mean to each other, but in a way that you can kind of be mean to your friends or brutally honest with your friends. And the, the the core conceit of this book, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I was really just like in awe with how natural the ending of this story developed in such a smart way. And the way that it ends was just, it was ambiguous, but also extremely satisfying at the same time. So if you get a chance, I highly recommend this book. Parrish's art is extremely weird. I'll just say that. Like, you're not going to like this art unless you're into abstract, like, okay. humanoid-shaped people. Um, the art in this book is, is a little out there, but I think it's it's worth the price of admission, um, even even with that. I mean, if... if I don't know. I, I say you're not going to like it, but I think it's, it's very drastically different than what you would expect for normal comic art. And, uh, yeah, that to me added a whole other layer of, like conceptualizing people's feelings and thoughts in the moment as their bodies and faces and everything change about them. Huh. And uh, yeah, it's really, again, it's really abstract, but the story is very, very good and uh, totally loved it. So I definitely would recommend that book. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I guess my last note here is it, like, overall, I really enjoyed it because it felt really raw and extremely real. And like, this is a situation anybody could probably find themselves in, not like with the exact situation and the context and all that, but it felt like a real conversation between two people. And uh, yeah, I just can't get over it. Like I sat with that book and I kind of just went, wow. Like I was really, really impressed by That's it. That's how you mm -hmm. know a book is good is when you keep thinking about it after you close it. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about comics that are coming out uh, this upcoming week. Comics are dropping on September 15 or just because, you know, maybe instead of that, you pick a book that you're reading next. So um, let's start with uh, you, Kara. What are you reading next or what, what are you excited for? Okay, so 
sort of in keeping with our theme of what we're talking about later, I just want to point out to everyone that coming out this week is Harley Quinn, the animated series, the Eat Bang Kill Tour number one. And again, that's a that's a TV show that I will be actually watching once I have mm-hmm. all the free time. But the cover of this book has Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy just full on making out like in a spotlight with all these other characters just like staring <laughs> at them. And so I fully appreciate that even if you're not like full up on where Harley Quinn is as a character, if you're in a comic shop, this is now an inescapable image that you will have to contend with. <laughs> like yeah she's hella gay (laughs) good for them you know what fuck all the haters also i am just laughing at this cover because batman is one of the onlookers and he's just grimacing (laughs) of course (laughs) because batman doesn't care he's just here to arrest them (laughs) he's just grimacing batgirl's like covering her eyes and catwoman's like rolling her eyes live wires just staring and i'm like this all tracks this is great whoever did this cover mm-hmm. knew what the hell they were doing <laughs> so, <laughs> like i kind of just want a poster of this cover and like put it up on my closet door or something <laughs> all right so in in terms of like more backlisty books i got um, a little bit of a bee in my bonnet the other day. I know that's a phrase like nobody uses, but I, I, I love it. I keep I love it. it. Like that's the only phrase that comes to mind when I think about this. I've got a bee in my bonnet about the wicked and the divine because I love that series and I never finished it. So yeah, neither have oh I. yeah, I got like to the second to last volume and then just stopped and Earlier this week, I realized that this had happened and this was unacceptable and we're getting into fall and we're getting towards Halloween and all this felt like the good moment to get back into the Wicked and the Divine. And I have the first two like deluxe hardcover editions and I was like, oh, I'll just get three and four and complete my collection and read the whole thing and have the fancy books. Yeah, um, you can't buy three anymore easily. Like, it's not on Amazon. It's not on Barnes & Noble. I was distraught to realize this because this was a book where when it came out, I was like, I'll buy that eventually. And I have Mm -hmm. clearly missed my window on that. So number four not was no longer available on Amazon, but is on Barnes & Noble. So I bought that on Barnes & Noble. And now I quest for volume three because now listeners if you know if you know of any if you got any contacts if you got a comic shop that you know that has this book send us an email we'll make something happen we want to get this book (laughs) got to get this hardcover into kara's hands i am questing i i sent like a message to my local indie bookstore and i was like i have no idea if this is like just the big box stores don't have this or if it's out of print but here are the two isbns listed on amazon and please let me know if you can find this book fingers crossed so. hopefully they could reach out to their network i know i know that like a lot of comic book shops and bookshops have like networks for these types of things where it's like oh it's not available at the publisher level or at the distributor but you know another shop that they're in contact with that they do like trade buys and stuff for will will maybe have it so that's why fingers I'm, crossed on that that's why i'm fingers crossing i'm like someone someone will have a copy of this book and um if you do and you're like not into it, I would say send it to me. But I will also say it, they're being sold for like $200 on Amazon Jesus. right now. So go make that money. Go make that money. Just go. Like I won't judge. Wowzer. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's, that's okay. Think, thinking here of like Tia's collection of every Wicked printing ever. It was like, oh, oh, that was a solid investment. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like Tia's sitting on a gold mine. Yeah. It's like what a co- a comic that appreciates go on. <laughs> They're so rare. Well, we got to get that in your hands. If you can't read it in that way, you know, we'll we'll hopefully find another way. Maybe we'll get you single trades just to tide you over so you can read the story. I know, but, but now, then eventually we'll update your collection. But now right? it's about having the collection. Now it's about being completist. So now I'm getting yes, nervous yes. about <laughs> now I'm getting nervous about Hellboy because I started getting the library editions of Hellboy. So now I'm like, oh, damn, do I have to like actually feel like that's a lot of money to drop right now? But I'm like, but what if they sell mm-hmm. out? So. Right. <laughs> Once it becomes scarce, that's when I want it. I'm like, right. Of I'm course. a textbook right. marketing case. Like, <laughs> hey, I'm the same exact way. Chainsaw Man started going out of print, and I paid stupid amounts of money to get those manga in my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get you. Totally get you. So that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. Mine, I have them all in just the like the plain old basic paperbacks. Um, mm-hmm. and so I do have it on my well. I'd say sitting on my shelf, but my bookshelf broke, so they're sitting in a box. Gotcha. Yeah, that was an unfortunate event, but. I definitely when I by the time I got the last couple, I think three volumes, it was at a point where it's like, I need to reread the series before yeah. reading those. And that's yeah, why yeah, I have yeah. not done it yet, because it's like a thing to go back and read all of them. So totally going to do yeah. it. Definitely going to do it. Not right now. They're hidden Question in the box. When. But yeah, someday. Right, right. someday. When. Well, Kate, what about you? What are you, what are you excited for? What are, what's, your, what's on your next to read list? The thing sitting on my uh, bedside table is the magic fish which is an oh, OGN by Trungli Nyan, which is, and it's like, Nguyen. is it seasonally, Nguyen, sorry. Is this seasonally appropriate? No. Am I mm-hmm. going to read it next anyway? Absolutely. I have waited yes. months on hold for this at my local library because Book Talk is destroying like the holds lists. Um, <laughs> like this went viral and uh, di- is that how I saw it? Yeah. Okay. Shut up. But like also I should be the only one who sees it so that I can get it immediately. Um, <laughs> I mean, Kate, if you needed it that bad, you could have just called me. I would have I would have just mailed you my copy. Aww. You could have just read that. Everyone should know that Mike is a sweet, sweet boy. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so this book is a YA coming out story of a Vietnamese boy whose parents are, like, struggling with uh, with their English, and that's making it really hard for him to find the language to tell them about what he's going through. Mm-hmm. So it's about him trying to navigate his life through fairy tales, which gets into that whole, like, theme that I love of, like, how stories connect us all. And it has beautiful artwork, and it just looks fantastic i am ready uh and very excited for this this yeah this this is looks like gorgeous. one of the most beautiful books i i own in my collection honestly like i i i, rem- I only know nguyen as trungles because i saw them at a comic convention years ago and i was like wow this is this is really pretty art and like yeah. at the time i don't think they had much work they were just like doing drawings and, and different things and mm-hmm. illustrations and i followed or grabbed a business card to follow them on twitter and then as soon as this book was announced i was like finally i can have a collection of work in my house um and man this book it does not disappoint every single page is stunning so kay i i wish you the best of luck this book is gonna floor you i did flip through it as soon as i got like picked it up from the like hold shelf so i have looked at the art a little bit but i have not read it Mm -hmm. yet so very excited cool Cool. I have added this to my cart now. Thank you. <laughs> You're it's very, it's very good. I can't. Yeah, I, love I really fairy like fairy tales. I love yeah, this. Same. This is so many check boxes. Thank you. Yeah. 
Well, I I have not reading anything of that exciting type i'm reading i'm the book that i'm here to talk about i guess before i get to that i should say our discord picks our good buddy danny's hanging out with us um his pick for for this week is batman the world the hardcover edition i don't know what this is but it seems legit if they're collecting it in a hardcover right Mm -hmm. but my pick for this week is primordial number one this is by jeff lemire andrea sorrentino lots of lemire talk today i was gonna say like you're predictable mike (laughs) i know i know well this is uh, jeff lemire andrea sorrentino dave stewart's their new series after they finished gideon falls and the story is like a Cold War era sci-fi series about monkeys who were sent to space during the space race and they can't they come back changed or something like that or the monkeys themselves were taken. Mm. Um, so honestly, though, if this were any other team, I probably would shrug this book off like this book is getting me on name alone. Uh, but we were lucky enough to get a preview copy of this book and it is quite something. I read it earlier today, like the core twist of this book. Um, that's not as pronounced as you'd expect given the subject matter um, is really interesting. I like that the team doesn't hammer on it. Like there is a a thing that makes this book unique that I didn't expect based off of just the synopsis. Um, so like going into that, the mystery around why they're telling the story the way that they are, um, the question of where did these monkeys go? Because there is this idea that these monkeys were taken and the Russians have some information on it. And the United States like NASA program has some information on it. And there's a bunch of questions that are nice and mystery boxes for, for folks that like that kind of stuff. And I think Sorrentino and Lemire know how to tell a story really, really well. And you can tell just from the first issue that this is a book where Sorrentino is experimenting a lot with his work. And I think that that's really cool because I think when, when you look at any of the work that Sorrentino's done in the past, it's very, I don't want to say predictable, but he very much has a style. Um, and to see him kind of break away from that for a couple of pages was really interesting in this book. But yeah, this feels like a book that like Lemire and Sorrentino, they're trying to do something really far out. I think Dave Stewart does a fantastic job with the color work that's very subtle in this one. And I mean, you know, Dave Stewart's a legend, so really not, not surprised there, but yeah, overall, this is this is a really interesting book. I'm really curious to see where it goes and to know that it's a mini series where there's going to be an end is exciting. So, yeah, I, I think this will be a cool book. I think if you're looking for something that's kind of out there with a team that, you know, you can probably trust if, yeah. if you like their their storytelling, um, this book's going to work for you. I need to read Gideon Falls. So before before checking out this, <laughs> that's definitely on my list. So. I know we were to. Joking earlier, like, Mike, you're so predictable. But is it really your fault if Jeff Lemire just keeps producing quality content? Yeah. Like, like, well, no, are we really going to fault him for that? <laughs> I mean, and I think it's 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 a it's a well-known secret in, like, the, the comics community of folks that, you know, keep their ear to the ground on a lot of this stuff that Lemire works, like, two years in advance. Yeah. Like, he just has stuff, like, planned out for the next two years. And it, it, if not already written, if not already created, you know, so I, I think that a lot of his work goes through an extreme vetting process over in that time mm-hmm. and edits are made and all that stuff. I think that I don't know how he got so far ahead in his work, but he's never he's it feels like he's always dropping new stuff and it's it's coming out in a volume that you like I'm always surprised by. But yeah, I mean, again, I ultimately this is probably going to be a really good trade. Like, if I'm going to be completely honest here. I mean, that's so, true for um, most of his books. Yeah, exactly. He's playing the uh, But yeah, game. he's got a new book. Like, Danny also said, like, he just dropped a new book, uh, Maze Book, that just came out this past week. And he's also got this book coming out. Like, he's always got something running. And yeah. plus, he's doing all of his stuff on Substack and 
Ugh, that's that could be a whole other conversation but <laughs> yeah primordial number one i i liked the preview that we got i'll just say that so nice uh before we dig to any any deeper into just me just talking about jeff lemire forever uh <laughs> let's take a quick break uh when we come back we're gonna be uh talking about middle grade comics and comics that could have made people gayer sooner maybe i don't know that was the question <laughs> you guys threw me. so we'll be back in just a second This week on I Read Comic Books, we're asking a question. Well, I should say I was pitched a question. Would this comic have made me gayer sooner? An exaltation of middle grade comics. So Kate and Kara came to me with this idea of, of talking about books that they wish that they would have had when they were younger. Uh, and they both gave me a bunch of recommendations and things I should read. So I sat down and I read Snapdragon. Uh, I think Kate and Kara, you both read Snapdragon. So we're here to talk not about just that book, but also books that offer really good representation that would have been great for us, I think, as as younger kids. So I guess, Kara, Kate, to get us started, like, what what do you think makes uh, Snapdragon such a great book? I mean, because overall, I loved it, but I'm curious to know what your what your takes on it. Um, I guess we'll start with you, Kate. Okay, so leaving aside the fact that it is beyond gorgeous art, that mm-hmm. it is fantastic, just visual storytelling, that the writing and story are just so page turner. Uh, so all that stuff aside, it the thing that got me so much is that it has representations of the sorts of things in the gender spectrum and LGBT uh, ideas that just were fully absent in absolutely any media that I consumed in middle school. And that is not just Snapdragon, of course. Like there's um so much more stuff like that out there now than in the late 90s when I was, you know, that middle grade age. So the thing for Snapdragon that made it stand out so much to me is there is it is the only story I've ever read, watched, listened to, like full stop, the only one where a character questions if they're trans or not, but comes to the conclusion that they like feel female. They just don't conform to the society's like bullshit version of what feminism like femininity is and Mm. what it means to be a girl and that struggle of like like what's wrong with me and am i actually this or that like am i actually not a girl like no actually i don't feel like a boy i just don't want to wear dresses and i don't want to do this or that you know what i mean like i'm uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with certain aspects of the what is feminine in our culture and i was like blown away and reread it like three times because I've never seen that before. That was very much a thing that I struggled with in middle school, high school and feeling just like a freak because you don't fit in any of the certain categories. Right. So I really appreciated it for that. I also just adore this main character. Mm-hmm. How about such you guys? A, such a sassafras. Um, I know. I, I like, <laughs> I, all right. So the things that stuck out to me in this book, like you said, aside from the art, in terms of representation and again this is like we said this is a a middle grade book like you would give this to a middle schooler or a high schooler to read and like i just if someone had handed me this book when i was 12 or 13 it would have like blown my mind that there are so Mm -hmm. many different ways to live your life that aren't just a man and a woman get married and make babies and have a family in the suburbs like there's so much that happens in this book that I could not even have imagined seeing five years ago. Like we see the main character's friend start kind of expressing 
himself as a girl instead, like changing names and aesthetics and really just wants longer hair and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, every like all the adults around these two kids kind of treat their desires as valid as opposed to something to push against, which I feel is like so nice to see that normalized because the 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 overriding narrative still in a lot of queer stories in media is oh but we're talking about the struggle of coming out or the struggle of people pushing against you oh i love so much that you see like that's very much present for the like mentor she finds in terms of like this older woman who's really struggled with it. It's like very much shaped her life and how she has and has not had relationships and how like that was true for that. But then this new generation of our main character and her best friend, like that is they're being LGBT like it is not the story. The story is a whole different thing. They just happen to also have this other stuff going on, right? Like, and that, Mm -hmm. so like the conflict of the story isn't them being gay or not, isn't them being gender fluid or not. Like none of that stuff is the problem that is like being overcome with the story. And I love that so much. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the the LGBT stories that I think we think of from, you know, the last 15 or 20 years, like a lot of them are first generation coming out stories. You know, like this is the first person in my I'm the first person in my family who is coming out or I don't know anybody who's come out or the person I do know it was a really bad thing for them. So I don't want to or I have to escape home in order to do that. Whereas in this story, and again, we're kind of going into spoiler territory. I think we're being a little bit vague about this um, intentionally. But, um, you know, the the main character, when they start to talk about these types of topics, you know, like her mother is is very like oh no well i've already talked about this with my mom and while i don't identify that way like if you do that's fine i I thought that was a really interesting like overall thing i don't think i've seen that in many other books i think there you you see in other books for instance laura dean keeps breaking up with me is a book that i think i think about a lot and that book while i don't think that laura's family has any issue with her uh, being queer, it's still like she is the one in her family. She's the one person in her family. And it's while it's accepted, it's still not like her... We don't really see too much into her parents. Like, what are their thoughts on it? Have they met anybody? Do they have anybody else in their family that they also know is like in the in the community? So it's it's interesting to hear like the way that the the story developed things. And again, I'm trying to beat around the bush intentionally, yeah. but like yeah, yeah. the, the is very uh, interesting portrayal about how like the snapdragon you know speaking to her mom about this whole thing and the eventual reveal of the the twist in the story that i thought was interesting which isn't even like the biggest twist it is a twist in the story that i was like you're kidding me they did what they knew each other from when like that just floored me i loved it so much well i mean that's kind of one of the other things that i thought was there there were a couple other moments not directly related to queerness in this book that stood out to me that are again things that yeah, kind of should be allowed to be included in in media targeted towards younger readers because they're still dealing with them even if they don't have the words to express it. So one of those mm-hmm. moments in the book for me was our our main character wants to get a book that's all about animal skeletons, yes. and the person the person checking out the pile of books is like, "Oh no, you don't want a book like this. You want a cute right. animal book," and the mom is like. No, my kid wants this book. My kid is getting mm-hmm. this book. 
and kind of explicitly seeing that like siding with your kid moment and like pushing Mm -hmm. back against that expectation from a total stranger because everyone has an opinion about how you should be living your life right I I mean I I thought that the relationship that Snapdragon has with their mom is like the most healthy parent child relationship I've ever seen in a story right? ever. <laughs> Open communication, <laughs> what's that? Right, right. And uh the other thing that kind of stood out to me was there is a kind of a frank discussion about how if you and your partner don't agree on if you're going to have kids or not, like that's kind of a relationship deal breaker like that is a fundamental disconnect that you can't resolve and that's something that you don't often see in stories especially towards like younger kids they want you want to see like oh sometimes it's not like one of you is a problem it's just if you disagree about what you want from life that's a way that relationships end and that's normal yeah so basically, this book like no- made a lot of stuff normal that is normally not like talked about in media, let alone in a book mm-hmm. targeted towards younger readers. Well, and it, and it was done in a way that it didn't feel like Preachy. it was trying to sit you down and have a conversation with you about it. And while like at one point, you know, Snapdragon and her mom do have that moment, the book itself didn't feel like that. You know, yeah. I think as as someone trying to get into the mind of like, what would 14 year old me or 12 year old me think about this book? I feel like the whole book, this book spends its time not not over parenting, you know, Snapdragon and giving her like a weird amount of freedom that I think kids have more so than we realize. Right. And not trying to step around any strange topics and, you know, realizing that there are things adults try to protect you from. But the kid, you know, kids are going to do what the kids are going to do. And I think as a reader, I'm like, yeah, Snapdragon should be able to do this and this and this. And it shouldn't yeah. be a problem. Um, and it felt it felt really natural. And it's the type of book that I I remember thinking if I'd read other things like this, because I think I have, I just can't remember off the top of my head of like kids kind of just doing their own thing. And like, while parents are there, they're not like overbearing and everything ended up being okay. You know, there, it wasn't a cautionary tale of Snapdragon went too far by yourself, six in the morning, blah, 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 to go do this thing. And, you know, she got in trouble. So in the future, it's remember, tell your parents. It's like, no, her mom's not available 24 seven. She has to, she has to not survive, but she has to still live her life without that worry of like something's bad something bad is going to happen i thought that this book showed a really really good portrayal of a a child who has to live on their own because of the circumstances that they're in and it being okay to have that level of freedom like i thought that was a really really great unspoken message about this book yeah this is a gen z latchkey kid yeah exactly exactly So this was our central book to start this this thesis. So Kate, I think, was the one of us who read this first. And then we were like, we should probably all just read the same book and talk about that as a jumping off point for this conversation. Yeah, this was one of those books that when I logged a graphic novel, I really liked. And I couldn't tell you which one, but it was a different middle grade or YA graphic novel. Logged it on Goodreads. And it's like, here's some other books you might like. And I like click through the list and threw some of them on hold and uh boy boy howdy was goodreads right <laughs> <laughs> the algorithm works sometimes yeah Look at that. sure did <laughs> oh man but uh yeah like we've talked about kind of middle grader younger reader books on the show before where there has been representation and and we kind of go off about that sometimes but it's because really this is kind of a newer thing in yeah, in media much. And in a lot of cases, you are 
being shaped by the media that you see. And like, yes, by the people around you too, and the things that you're learning in school. But a lot of topics that are covered adjacently or directly in TV, in comics, in movies, like that's kind of where you're picking up on social norms. So Mm -hmm. including a broader range of norms, like that's what we're really talking about when we say representation matters. We're saying let's make more stuff normalized because it already is but because we're not saying it is people are still thinking it's not yeah yeah i feel like most of the books i put on here are books that i'd want to give my middle grade middle age self because i see my myself at that age in them in ways Mm -hmm. that i didn't Mm -hmm. see myself in things before and that's not just the lgbtq aspect some of these like the smile series um by reina telgemeier especially guts where the main character, which is you know herself at uh, fourth and fifth grade, is massively struggling with an anxiety disorder that has a really profound mind-body connection where she's has a phobia of vomiting and that that fear of vomiting then leads to actual digestive issues like IBS where she's getting actual nausea and stuff, but it's being caused by that anxiety. And of course, feeling nauseous makes the fear of vomiting even worse because now Mm -hmm. you really are Mm -hmm. nauseous and like that spiral. And that was such a big part of my life at that age in middle school and seeing another kid dealing with that because it was so like anything like emotional struggles like that was just fully not talked about in actual life and then in the stuff i was reading um there were really good series in the late 90s for girls of girls going out there and being the hero right so like thinking about all the tamara pierce books um babysitters club is a great one where like they're girls out there accomplishing things and girls can do anything boys can do like that kind of messaging but it was still the like it was empowering focused versus like internal struggles or differences stuff like that so like are you there god it's me margaret and stuff it's like okay she's struggling with certain things but it's not not like mental health issues being addressed you know what i mean like it's right it's like okay someone getting their period for the first time that was like a progressive thing you'd see in late 90s middle grade girls books Mm -hmm. um but it, it's like it's like stories that are showing just one half of what it takes to be a strong person. Exactly. Right? And a very specific kind of childhood, which was very much not the childhood I was living. And so um, that's the kind of thing like her, her book Sisters shows um, is about her conflict with her little sister and like learning to get along mm-hmm. with uh, even though they're very different. And. I, my sister and I had an extremely contentious relationship at that age and fought a ton. And it was very much like parents and church and stuff like that was always made it out like our fighting was super abnormal and evidence of like profound character flaws and like a moral failing. Whereas like something like this is just like, yeah, you're living in a small space. You have conflicting needs and desires. And like you both are just different, very different people. And like there's just an element of, as you grow up, try learning to deal with that and get like it. And then it's not bizarre. It's like an expected outcome when you have that kind of thing. And so I think that that also could have been really good um, because it, I don't remember ever seeing like significant sibling conflict like that in any of the middle grade stuff I read at that age. There was certainly like, oh, the annoying little brother. I was going to say, yeah. But it was like comical. It's like Clarissa explains it all with Ferg breath, right? Like it's right, right, right. It's not like. And at the end of the day, oh, they're actually best friends and love each other so much. And, you know, like it it wasn't like serious conflict. So, 
this is all resolved in the next 30 minutes and then yeah, you can exactly. go about your day exactly. <laughs> on this week's very special episode of boy meets world yep. uh, <laughs> <laughs> no i you know i think about the kinds of of like i read so many comics when i was in in middle school and um early high school in particular and i kind of think and like comics were a way for me to sort of like i did use them in some ways to explore different like sexuality but since Mm -hmm. there wasn't like i wasn't explicitly doing that i was just like oh well maybe like the like the only time i remember seeing anything about masturbation was in alan moore's lost girls book which is like an erotic he basically takes uh classic like british children's characters like wendy from peter pan and like alice from alice Mm -hmm. in wonderland and is like okay and now i'm going to show them masturbating or like having sex with each other and so as a teenager while i was like trying to figure out stuff about my body and sexuality that was like the only thing related to that that i saw and that's from the perspective of like this older dude who wants to like get off to young girls like being it was just like not the kind of framing that I should have been exposed to. And it was just mm-hmm. it was a comic at my library. So nobody really like thought about it. They're like, oh, look, she's getting a comic book about girls out from the library. And I'm like, not the way you think. <laughs> um, or like, you know, or I think of or um, this comic that I got out from the library around that time. I think I've talked about it on the show very briefly. It's called Boneyard. And mm-hmm. Boneyard was like one of the first indie comics I was kind of exposed to. And it's this the the conceit is this dude is receiving an inheritance from a dead relative and like shows up in this town to collect and realizes that the thing that he's collecting is like a bunch of monsters, essentially. Except one of them's a sexy vampire and one of them's a sexy sea monster. And like the sexy sea monster is married to a giant Frankenstein that will punch you if you look at the sexy wife. And it's like all these very specific, like I read that book so many friggin times because I understand that like I understood that I was supposed to find these women attractive, but I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that that was like I didn't have the language or the context to realize that these were women being drawn to appeal to straight men and being presented in a way that would have been appealing to straight men in terms of like they're trying like one of them's trying to seduce the new guy who's in town and one of them just like finds him cute but keeps showing up without a bra on and like stuff like that where i'm like oh this is like a male fantasy thing Mm -hmm. but at the time i was just Mm -hmm. like i understand that this is supposed to be sexually interesting but i'm like it's not quite clicking like something's happening anyway so like one of the reasons that I keep going off about Sailor Moon is because like one of the reasons Sailor Moon was so formative to me reading it in middle school and high school is because it was the only thing that I was really exposed to that addressed any kind of queerness right? and not and not in a way where they were just like, oh, Sailor Uranus is gay. They were just like, sometimes Haruka is a girl and sometimes Haruka is a boy and Haruka mm-hmm. is in a relationship with Michiru. Like, they didn't put, like, labels on anything. It was just, like, this is how it is. And, like, the sailor starlights are sometimes men and sometimes women. And, like, they just, like, 
um the our our main character sailor moon like has a consistent relationship with tuxedo mask but also like kind of crushes on sailor uranus like kisses her as a woman at one point and like stuff like this happens where it's just and that just happens yeah and it's like it was that right, there's no like shock and awe panel where someone is just like oh, she kissed sailor urine like right. it, it, i'm sure it's nothing like that right yeah yeah it's just like oh it's normal so that's like kind of what i was feeling with um snapdragon with these things just happening in this book where it's not presented as that's a conflict it's just oh that's another thing that's happening and it adds dimension to this universe that we're in and the interpersonal relationships that are happening and mm-hmm. and like in some of the in the manga editions that I was reading, they sometimes had like pinups that the that the creator drew and like some of them were the Sailor Scouts in like not like totally erotic poses, but like there's this one that I remember very vividly that's like Sailor Moon and Sailor Venus and they're dressed like not quite like Playboy bunnies, but they've got like the the unitard bustier thing going on and like one mm-hmm. of them is like clutching the other one's thigh and I was like, oh, this is like this is like a sexually charged image. And it feels like very flirty and whatever. But it was like that's in a book that was aimed at yet like younger women, like written by a woman who is clearly like working some stuff out about sexuality. And so mm-hmm. that's why these things, I think, are important, because like if everyone's reading stuff like that, that just makes this stuff like not a big deal, then people will realize it's not a big deal. Yes. Is- yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and I think we've seen a little bit more normalcy of these types of topics. I, I'm not saying that it's the problem fixed. Go home, everybody. Like, but at the same time, you know, the, the fact that books like Snapdragon and, you know, like I, I, I'm struggling to think of books off the top of my head right now, like Genderqueer are books that are out there that are getting critical praise right. and are getting like into the into bookshelves and in people's schools and stuff and libraries is is proof that the that things have definitely changed. Um, I think there can always be more. And I think it's not going to hurt to have more diverse voices speaking about these types of topics. You know, it starts with something like a Sailor Moon kind of being like the semi-revolutionary, like, oh, that this can be read by a younger audience. And maybe that like snuck under the noses of the conservative folks out there who were like, <laughs> well, my kid will never read this kind of thing. But, um, you know, now we see other things like like Snapdragon just completely normalizing everything that happens in the book where nothing's a serious moment. And there is a little bit of contention of like, I don't know how someone's going to react like the skirt scene, for instance, to me was like, oh that's that's just how you do that as a parent and you just go okay it's fine like i don't care be who you are like not being judgmental of a kid like to me that was an extremely moving scene like a really powerful scene that just felt like any other handful of panels you'd see in a comic of like people sitting on a couch watching a movie but like that moment becomes revolutionary for lulu's character in the story as the rest of the book goes on and she's wearing that that skirt or they're wearing that skirt the entire time. So I I don't know. I thought like things like that are super cool. Like I, I don't know how else to describe it because it I feel like 10 years ago that there would have been like a moment. There would have been a moment in the book and they would have had a talk about the skirt scene. Yeah. But instead it's like this just happened. And then the rest of the story about Snapdragon continues on and you see Lulu, Lulu's character develop in the background in a way that just 
again, normalizes the whole, yeah. this person is changing over time throughout the book and the relationships don't change. They don't have to make a bit out of it. It's just something that happens. I, I really, again, I, not to make it all about the one book, but the fact that we're seeing that more and more, you know, even when things like the prince and the dressmaker, you know, a whole fairy tale style story about a prince who likes to wear dresses. Yes. That's that's amazing. Like, I, I love to see that kind of stuff. In a similar vein, books like New Kid by Jerry Craft, um, I think also are part of at least what was not at all in front of me as a middle schooler and should have been. This book and the uh, companion OGN Class Act, which are, I think, so I have not read Class Act yet. I believe they're parallel in, in that they're following two different characters, but over the same span of time. Uh, both are following the one of the few, very few African-American students at a primarily white school. And so New Kid goes into a lot of the like anxiety of starting at a new school, being the quote unquote new kid and outsider, which was very applicable to me. I switched schools in uh, districts in fourth grade. But mm. um, the big thing that I think would have been really valuable is like it's all about the racism that that is like the racial bias microaggressions the stuff of people who think they're being nice white people that is actually really harmful and really hard to deal with for these main characters and i definitely had like zero understanding of that as a you know tween in the 90s um i went to a school that was all white aside from a, a small handful of foreign adoptees and I am positive that if we went back and looked, they dealt with this exact kind of crap constantly. And I think we're get, getting more and more stories like that of other voices entering the mainstream, in addition to like more LGBT creators, but also more people of color and sharing experiences like that, that like, even though it's not like the Smile series where it's like, oh, this would, I saw myself in this. It's like, oh, I would have seen things that would have benefited me in being a better person and treating mm -hmm. other kids in a more thoughtful way than what I did. I mean, I, I have no memory of what I did or didn't say, but like, if you're not thinking about it, so many of these like microaggressions things just happen unless you're purposely avoiding them. Yeah. So I think that kind of thing, and the same with like stargazing, where it's very about like, not judging other kids because you have no idea what they're going through and what they're dealing with. And so seeing those different experiences, I think is a really cool thing that I feel like we're getting more and more of now. Yeah, totally. And again, like the, the age, like the reader level and age appropriateness of stuff, I think is so important because I don't think I was really being given material that was age appropriate when I was for looking sure. for comics that age, it was either mm -hmm. like, here's your Archie comic or like, Oh look, here's like a horror comic that will definitely give you nightmares for the next year, <laughs> but it's a comic. So it must be okay. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't read comics until college, but by the time I was in middle school, it was very much like just whatever you want to check out, you check out. And I was really into sci-fi and fantasy. And so I was checking out all these, uh, especially like the older sci-fi books that, man, there is so much rape and violence against women in those uh, that right. I was consuming as like an 11 year old. And you're like, oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> Maybe mm -hmm. mom shouldn't have let me read Dune at 10. <laughs> like, oh, jeepers. Oh, <laughs> Topical. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's. <laughs> I think I read Dune in book. middle school too. Yeah, fantastic. But well, because reading level, it is age appropriate, right? Like if you're just, like, yeah, just a little nerd. But like content wise, there is 
so much stuff in that. Mm -hmm. And then that was true for a lot of books that I was picking up at that time that it definitely got to the point where I was like, yeah, take yourself to the library, do what you want kind of thing. And and to some level, that's fine. And to some level, it's yeah, great. But now... I don't think I'd want to go back and censor my reading. I think maybe having conversations about it afterwards would have been good versus just like internalizing a lot of that stuff. Like, oh, OK, right, that's what right. what that is would have been helpful. But, I, you know, so it's nice. Now, if you go to the library, presumably because there is more content towards middle grade readers, because publishers are like, what? Middle schoolers want to read comics? Go yeah, on. Yeah, because before it was the children's section and the adult section, there was no like in-between section when we were little. Right. 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 And that's where you can be directed, where you can kind of explore these more adult themes, but in a context that's more appropriate mm -hmm. and is being specifically targeted towards with like knowing that that's your age and development. Absolutely. And sometimes you're in your 30s and you still love the YA section. And that's OK, too. <laughs> that is totally OK, too. <laughs> one, one really quick note that I want to say about a lot of these these middle grade books that I think we've we've read either either for this episode or just in general. Um, I think one of the things that I've noticed a lot is there is a shift in the way that kids interact with their parents in in a way that it's like, kids are going to be kids and they're never going to tell their parents the thing because you need to have that moment in the book where the kid doesn't tell the parent right. the thing and then they eventually tell them. Um, but I think that there is a lot less like, or there's a lot more like accepting parents or parents trying to like actually have a calm conversation with their kid about harsher or, or not even harsh topics, but like tougher subjects where maybe the kid doesn't even know they need to have the conversation until the parent brings it up or in things like that. And like, again, just to go back to Snapdragon, that scene in the car, you know, I, I thought that was a really smart portrayal of, you know, Snapdragon doesn't want to tell, uh, you know, her mom about whatever's going on, but she still like wants the, her mom wants to try to have a calm, open conversation about sexuality and about wh what people like and what people, you know, what their yeah. preferences are and stuff. And I, I think you see that more and more in these books where the parents aren't necessarily shown to be completely antagonistic. You know, they, they are shown to be frustrated. They're shown to be mad um, because that's just what's going to happen. But I think when it comes down to the actually having the conversation, it's not like a, it's no longer like a, let's wrap all this up in a nice bow. It's that this is a complicated subject mm -hmm. I want to talk about with you now. And in the future, I want to continue to talk to you about it. And I feel like that's a, just a nice way to show kids that it is a hundred percent okay to talk to your parents about this. Sometimes it's going to be hard, but it's not going to be impossible. Um, even, you know, everyone's situation is different. Maybe your parents aren't that easygoing, but at least it puts that idea in your head that there are adults out there who can have these conversations with you and it's okay to talk to them about these tough subjects. Yeah. Like in new kid, uh, the main character goes to his dad and is talking to his dad about the things he's dealing with at schools school. And they're like bonding over like his dad having dealt with similar things at school, but also like currently at work because they're just living in a predominantly white area and so like mm -hmm. and it goes into like talking to stuff and there's no like you're saying there's no like oh and now it's solved I talked to the principal or I taught you how to deal with this in a way that makes it not an issue it's like this is just an ongoing thing that we can we can both get through you know like yeah that yeah. it shouldn't we shouldn't have to but we're gonna and you know like you're saying it goes into the complexity instead of the black and white yeah absolutely um, well, do either of you have any, any last thoughts about our subject? Do you think that there are, is, I guess my last question for the episode is, do you have a favorite middle grade comic that you come back to or one that is like at the top of your list of God, if I only had read this when I was, you know, 12 to 14, I would have maybe been a little bit better. I would have had a better understanding of myself. Um, is there, is there something that you think about, uh, regularly when it comes to this stuff? 
for me, Guts by Rena Telgemeier, I think, would be the number one one. Um, but mm-hmm. the uh, we've already talked about Lumberjanes so much, but I just would have devoured that as a kid, and it yeah. would have been so <laughs> yeah. good for me. And we've also already talked about spinning a lot, but I think that also it, it's a memoir about a girl who's in a very similar um, situation of, with that like pressure for being for perfection and fear and shame about growing up gay in a place that's very intolerant, uh, which was certainly my situation, and mm-hmm. dealing with that stress and anxiety and some of that resulting like maybe not like clinical depression, but like feeling like crap, like it's, it's not Mm -hmm. a happy way to grow up. And so I think those are the big ones for me. I think definitely, um, like Lumberjanes keeps being on this list for a reason. And that is by no means a perfect book. But even that first volume showing you that there is more than one way to be a girl, Mm -hmm. like would have been so so nice (laughs) really just so nice to see that um and i do also think like we you know we we add nimona to these lists all the time but seeing anger portrayed like youth anger i like i had a lot of emotions that ended up being expressed as anger because I didn't know what to do with them. And I think a lot of teenagers go through that. And it would have been great to see that as like, yeah, like anger is a reaction. And here are like, we need to talk about it, or you need to figure out ways to express it. And not it just like having that complexity about it and not just anger bad. That means you're bad. Yeah, especially for girls. That is such a thing. Yeah. And um you know, now that I've now that I've read Snapdragon, um, throwing throwing it on on that <laughs> yes, list there. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, these I, I'm so, so glad that we are at a point where there are more books like this. And I think some of the, the appeal of continuing to read young adult fiction or, or comics now is that earlier generations like us like didn't really have this opportunity to to like learn about these things in age-appropriate ways so i in a lot of ways i do still kind of feel like i'm growing up or i'm in my adolescence because it just like now there's so many more materials to kind of figure out who we are and what we want in a way that mm-hmm. i just wasn't really exposed to when i was younger yeah i mean i i wish that i I, I can't say that I relate to a lot of this, if only because I'm a straight white man. But at the same time, you know, there are plenty of books that I've read, I think, Kara, in the same vein of what you were saying of like, I wish that I could have had these things to process these feelings when I was younger. Yeah. Because now it's coming back to haunt me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I think that's that's the thing that really works is, is seeing these these like portrayals of characters that um you can experience you know through the storytelling um and understand like oh well this is how they figured it out and this is how you know what happened to them and this is like they felt this rage or this anger or this other thing you know or this sadness you know in a way and then they were able to get through it like is really helpful to be able to reference in your mind i think especially when you're younger to be able to see someone who's maybe going through something similar to you and see that they actually get out on the other side of it is is phenomenal you know yeah. i think that there's not enough or there wasn't enough portrayal of that type of thing and again you know the very special episodes of boy meets world and Mm -hmm. stuff like whatever but i think that those are not nearly as relatable as a story like this where you get to see a character fully fleshed out and you get to see them experience and grow and and rise and fall and all that stuff all in one go 
I, I, I love this kind of stuff. And I, I know you can get this from prose books, but you know, as always, like comics to me just click a lot better in my head. I feel like I've had way more emotional responses to comics um, in my life than I have like prose books and stuff. And I think it's it's half the imagery and half just the the the, the way these things are put together and structured just really hits a, a spot in my head. So yeah, well, I appreciate the conversation today. This is this is a really cool subject. I'm glad you guys brought it to me and got me to read Snapdragon because that's going right on my my shelf next to all the other fucking phenomenal first second books <laughs> yep. that I own. Yep. Um, so everyone should go out there and read Snapdragon. But you know everything else we talked about here, I'm going to put in the show notes. So if you guys are interested in anything, uh, make sure to check that out. I guess to wrap the show up next week, our show is going to be all about aliens. I guess what I wrote down here was aliens. It's aliens, comics and more. (laughs) We're going to be talking about uh, aliens, dead orbit, alien, the 2021 series from Marvel number one through six and aliens aftermath, which is a one shot that came out from Marvel. It's going to be me, Brian and Nick. Just get ready for a bit of monologuing from Nick. I know that's rare for him, but it's going to be happening. Mike. Uh, <laughs> you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Kara at Kara SM. You can follow me at Mike Rapid. You can follow the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. Join today for exclusive series like the IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more. Join now at patreon.com slash IRCP podcast. And if you haven't already, please rate and review our show. Five stars, right? On Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help us spread the word about IRCB. Join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more and listen to our episodes live as we record. The link will be in the show notes. And it would help us a lot if you tell your friends and your like local comic book shop about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. We can't thank them enough. Xander is the cool guy who makes us sound even cooler every single week. He edits the show. That's what he does. Uh, I want to say thanks to Kate and Kara for this episode. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to talk about it. Uh, thanks to everyone out there listening. Thank you to Danny who's hanging out with us in the Discord for the whole episode. And until next time, comics are good. And so are you. Comics and more.